How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Our job is to wake up and just play hard. Before you made it to the NBA or got a college scholarship, you played hard every day to get where you wanted to. To still be talking about playing hard, that's something that you should be able to do after just waking up. Everybody has a job and they have to go work hard. Our job is to come here and play hard and compete. That's the easiest thing that you should do without any contracts or any money. Just come in and play basketball. If I had the answer, we wouldn't be in this situation. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today's show is also brought to you by one of our patrons and that is Scott Lee. So Scott, this uh, this show is for you. Thank you for supporting the show and if you want to be a supporter of the show, you go on to patreon.com slash RedRock underscore B-Ball to check out ways that you can help support the show. So Scott Lee, thank you and uh, this this show is for you. All right, it was a um, it was a day where I thought we were going to get some pretty big DFS scores happening, some pretty big uh, stuff happening in the NBA, but there was just so many blowouts that it was that it, that it was tough. It was tough in DFS. I know on one of the sides, my Moneyball team struggled. My team on my team on Draft Stars did very well. It just it depended who you, who you got, which games you really targeted, and there was obviously ways to make pretty good money. And there were days and there were ways where your team didn't work out because there was just so many sort of weird occurrences, I guess, across the NBA with all the uh, with all the action going on. So what we're going to do in today's show, obviously, is break down all 10 games from Wednesday. We're then going to look ahead to the six games for Thursday. So let's get to it. To it. All right. The uh, the monstrous line of the night. Marcus Cousins gets himself another monstrous line of the night. 24 points for Boogie, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 three-pointers, 3 blocks. He went 10 of 16 from the field. He hit 2 of his 3 free throws, and he has been amazing this season. A lot of people were very, very cautious to uh, draft DeMarcus Cousins in the first round. You can not count me in that group. I'm never I'm never cautious with drafting DeMarcus Cousins in the first round. He's so, he's currently sitting at the rank of 13 in eight cat leagues. I know his turnovers are a problem, but uh, they're actually well down this year. He's at 2.7 turnovers per game. Last year, 3.8. The year before, 4.3. So they're not even as big a concern as what they've been in the past. His percentages, they can be a concern as well, but they're not really. It's 46 and 75, easily workaroundable. And over the last two weeks, he's ranked seventh. He's averaging in that time 32 and 12 and a half. He's hitting three triples a game at 46%. Three and a half assists, 2.8 blocks, 1.3 steals, 
what more could you want from what Boogie Cousins is doing? He's uh, consistently putting up big numbers. Let's let's hope for for fantasy owners' sake. Let's hope for his sake. Let's hope for the whole situation that that happened in New York. That there's there is nothing that actually goes wrong. But if he did the wrong thing, then he deserves any punishment that comes his way. Same that goes same goes for Matt Barnes. But let's let's hope that everything gets uh, sorted out and there's no no bad things happening with it. I guess he did get charged today. I believe in that incident in the club in New York, but we don't know the full details of it yet, so I'm not going to go in and speculate whether there's going to be suspensions coming or, or what's going to happen legal-wise with uh, with DeMarcus Cousins there. But in terms of just his on-court play, he is absolutely flying with the numbers that he's putting up. And, and if you did take that chance on him, and there are people who, who are flat out would say, I won't draft Boogie Cousins even in the second round. And I think that you're really wrong in that in that thought process. He's been, he's been great. He continues to be great. And... He's just that guy that's always around that end of the first round who does have the ability to jump up and be maybe a top six or top seven guy under the right circumstances. And if those percentages went up and he was, say, 52-82, that's obviously a high bar to set. But but if he could do that, then we're talking about maybe even top five sort of numbers that, that Boogie can come across. But he's putting up some uh, some really good numbers now. So if you own him, I doubt you've got very few... Uh, I doubt you've got any complaints, basically, with what he's doing at the moment. The waiver wire line of the night goes to Tyler Johnson of the Miami Heat, who scored a career-high 27 points. He hit four triples, he had two boards, five assists, a steal, a block, went 8 of 16 from the field and 7 of 8 from the free throw line. I know a lot of people, probably not listeners to this podcast, but people who are, who are casual NBA fans, um, they got out their Twitter machine and were very, uh, Tyler Johnson got $50 million, NBA players get paid too much. It's the standard bullshit that people who don't necessarily pay any attention to the game would say, because he's a he's a nondescript backup white point guard for the Miami Heat that people wouldn't have heard of. He's been great for them this season. Yes, he's been thrust into probably some extra minutes with the injuries to Richardson, to Winslow, now to Waiters, Dragic at one point, and forcing him into a bigger role, but he he's stepped up. And over the last two weeks, he is a top 85 player in 32 minutes a game, 15.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 3 assists, big steal numbers, 1.6, and 1.5 threes, 42 and 78%. And at this point, with all these injuries, it's pretty clear he's a must-own guy. He is owned in under 70% of leagues. I believe he's owned in under 50% of leagues, which um, when, you, uh, when, when you think about it, I'm going to double-check that because that... Yeah, he's owned in 46% of leagues, which is just way too low. He has to be owned in every league at this point. Yes, when Richardson returns, when Waiters returns, when Winslow returns, some of his output is cut. But a lot of that comes out of Wayne Ellington's minutes. A lot of that comes out of Scooter Magruder's minutes. Johnson is a key piece to this team. He probably won't play the 32 a game or the 34 a game he's playing over his last four. But he'll go back to... 28 or so, and that puts him around that 100, 110 mark. Yeah, a useful player. Good steals, good assists, good rebounds, solid scoring, um, and decent-ish percentages. The field goal percentage probably needs a little bit of work, and I think he can get up from there. But he has been a fantastic, not even addition, he's been a fa- fantastic um, guy to keep for the Heat, and he's been a, a really valuable fantasy player. It just appears that not everyone is, uh, is 100% all over Tyler Johnson. So you should be at the moment. Again, there will be a drop-off coming. Uh, I'd say sell high, but he's not owned in enough places or doesn't have enough really brand recognition for someone to go, man, look how Tyler Johnson's going. I'm going to give you a, a rock-solid top 80 guy moving forward. That just won't happen. So you, you grab him, you own him, and you don't drop him immediately when those guys come back until we see how it all shakes out. I, I think there's a real chance that Richardson, Johnson, and Dragic 
get the majority of minutes at guard and, and Waiters loses out the, the, a fair chunk there and then they play three guards at a time and play Justice Winslow at the four for big stretches. So Tyler Johnson's not going under 25 minutes. I've got no concerns there. He'll be a shade under 30, but he's not going down too low. So he is going to be a player that, that's probably going to have 12-team value for the majority of the remainder of the season. So check him out if he's on your waiver wire. Of course, Locked on Heat will have all the information about the current Heat injury woes, what happens with Johnson now, what happens with Scooter Magruder, who hurt his ankle, and he might not be available for Friday. So listen to Locked on Heat with Wes Goldberg and David Ramil. They'll have all the Heat information covered for you. Talk about um, the news that Chris Bosch will be attempting a comeback apparently next season. I'm sure they've covered that in one of their recent podcasts as well. So if you're in a dynasty league and you're well out of it, have a look if Bosch is around. He might be on a waiver wire. He might not be, but he might be. So if you're you know, bottom three and really no chance of competing, this is the time that you get Bosch. He might not be able to come back, but if you can get him for nothing, you do and, and you hope for, for his sake and for um, your own team's sake, that, that it comes through. So check out Locked On Heat. Of course, it's part of the Locked On Podcast Network with a podcast for every NBA team every day of the week. You can uh, check that out. The young gun of the night. It's been a while since Miles Turner has got one of these, but he's back in business here. 20 points, three triples, four boards, two blocks, a steal, seven of 11 from the field, and three of four from the free throw line. He has, as I've mentioned previously, been a little bit disappointing when Paul George returns, and his minutes haven't quite been where we'd hope they are, only averaging 28 over the season and actually down to under 27 over the last two weeks. But it was a good performance here from, from Turner. He has got comfortable top 30 upside, no doubt. If he was playing 32 a night, he would be inside the top 25 most likely. But unfortunately, uh, Nate McMillan is um, is limiting his minutes. For what reason, I'm not 100% sure. But 15 and 7 with a steal and 2.2 blocks and half a three, with the potential that those threes go up and shooting 53 and 78, uh, a pretty impressive numbers, and he has taken his three-point percentage up recently as well, hitting 36% of them over the last six games. He, his numbers do drop a little bit, as I said, when Paul George is in the lineup, so that's why when you look at the last week of games, including today, he's ranked outside the top 120 because his production's been well down with George with George back, but I think that he, he can stabilize, and he should finish the year pretty comfortably as a top 50 guy. And if McMillan starts giving those extra minutes to him, which really I don't know why you need to give any minutes at all to Al Jefferson at this point, or, you, or at least four more minutes can go to Miles Turner. There really is no... Look, I know Turner does have some de- defensive deficiencies, but Jefferson's got more of them. And he's got less of a future. And he's got less um, rim-protecting ability. You know, maybe a bit more of an offensive scorer, but definitely more spacing with Miles Turner. But it is, it is what it is at the moment. That's the way that McMillan's running it. So we just look for this sort of top 50-ish sort of numbers. He's going to be a top 20 guy at some point in his career, no doubt in my mind, Miles Turner. So if you're looking in Dynasty, you should be viewing him as a player who will be a top 20 player, probably for multiple seasons. So keep that in mind if you're trading him away or if you're looking to acquire him. The dud of the night. Unfortunately, the pencil gets it. Someone again asked me who the pencil is. I'll, uh, I'll explain it one more time for everybody. I think I've explained it four or five times. Harrison Barnes is the pencil. In everywhere in the world, outside of the United States, and even in the United States, in um, in areas I've been told like engineering and and graphic design, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm architecture, perhaps that a standard pencil, which you people in America call a number two pencil, is called an HB pencil. Everywhere in the world, that's what it's called. So I was talking about Harrison Barnes in the off season. And I just called him HB. I mean, you know what? 
HB, to me, that immediately, and for anyone who lives in Australia, definitely HB automatically just go pencil. So that's where the pencil nickname came from. But then I realized, I had no idea at this point, that an HB pencil was not a universal grading of pencils. It was a a metric grading, and it doesn't fit in with inches and feet and Fahrenheit and all that other crazy crap that you guys run with over in the States. So that's the nickname, the pencil. I want to get the pencil training. I needed to appear. Someone's already edited his Wikipedia page, so shout out to the person who edited Harrison Barnes' Wikipedia page to put the pencil on there as a nickname. I need it on Basketball Reference now, and I need to see any instances of people referring to the pencil on other articles or other forums. I need to get this happening. This is my one of my main aims this season is to produce an entertaining podcast, an informative one, but to also get the pencil as a nickname rolling and um, and get it happening. So go go at it, get at it and, uh, and see if you can get that happening. Pretty pretty unlikely, but you uh, you never know, I guess. Again, the person who did the, who edited that Wikipedia page really got it uh, kick-started for me. Let's get into these 10 games now and break them down in, uh, in that little bit of extra detail. The first one, Detroit and Charlotte, was... As ugly as it gets, both teams failed to score 40 points in the first half. That That's not impressive at all. But Andre Drummond was. He had 26 points. He had 20 rebounds. He blocked two shots. And he was 4 of 7 from the line and 11 of 14 from the field. So, yeah, look, he hurt the free throws a bit. But that's not standard Andre Drummond hurting free throws. That's a much improved version. And he's been more improved this year. He's hitting about 7 to 8% more. It's not taking him out of punt situations, but it is reducing the attempts that he's having as well, just the fact that he is hitting them slightly better. And we're seeing Hacker in general being reduced across the league to a degree. It's not fully eliminated. I wish it was, but it's it's it has decreased. So it is still hard to ro- roster these guys in Roto. I wouldn't be doing it, but it's trending in a, in a positive direction. Reggie Jackson struggled. He had three early turnovers, in, finished with four, 10-3-2 in his 26 minutes. But then Ish Smith back to 22. I believe I just got a tweet before I went to air asking me if Ish Smith is droppable. I haven't replied to that person. But if you own Ish Smith in a 12-team league, it's done. Forget about it. Move on. Piss him off. Now, normally when players come back, I like to hold on to that replacement just to see what happens. But this is over for Ish. It's over already. He can be cut 2-3-2 and two for Ish in his 22 minutes. Marcus Morris, 7-10, and 10, not the best night from him. Uh, Catavius Kowal-Pope struggled as well. He did have six assists, but only the seven points for KCP. And Toby Harris, 14-7. and seven. Overall, it was a very lackluster performance. The Pistons shot just 38% from the field and 63% from the line and 15% from three, while the Hornets went 34, 72, and 29. So hardly an offensive showcase in this game. For the Hornets, Kemba had his standard 25, two triples, four assists, and two steals. And Batum went 14 and 15 for some good numbers. Marv Williams was back. He was slotted straight back into the starting lineup. Marv played 26 minutes and had 12 and 5 with two triples and a steal. And that's probably close to one of his best games this season. I'm not a big Marvin Williams fan, as you probably would have heard throughout the podcast, throughout this season and last season. And I don't believe he's a very good player. And last year stuck out as a real anomaly until the playoffs came and he not only shit the bed, but he shit the court plenty of times. He was dreadful in that playoff run. Um, yeah, Frank Kaminsky moved back to a bench role, and that's going to be how it rolls. It, Marvin's not going to get 30 minutes. He's not good enough to do that, and Kaminsky's good enough to take those minutes away from him. But you can add Marvin in 12-team leagues. Just don't expect last year's production, and don't expect a huge high ceiling. I liked what Marco Bellinelli did. He played 28 minutes off the bench, 13-5, and five, with two steals. 
Yeah, really just a streaming three specialist and a 14-team league sort of player, but some nice numbers there. While Cody Zeller really stunk it up, two of nine from the field. You obviously want better than that from a center for just nine points, six boards, and a block. But obviously, if the shooting was better, then we're talking about a much better line because he played 32 minutes. And I still do believe that Zeller is a is a back-end 12-team league guy, despite the uh, 42% ownership not seemingly agreeing with me. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist struggled here, just under 20 minutes for Kidd-Gilchrist, five boards and an assist. He is not a must-own player. I think he, he can be earned, and I think he probably should be, but by no means is he a must-own guy. And Jeremy Lamb, this is Jeremy Lamb, 12 points, no, 12 minutes, three points, no other stats. He will throw up a fluky performance. He is the biggest um, suck-in player, almost in the NBA, that he'll go out there and put up a line, and then uh, yeah, I'm inundated. Add Jeremy Lamb? Should we add Jeremy Lamb? Is it time to pick up Jeremy Lamb? And my answer is pretty much always going to be no. Because he, he will have a night where he'll have another night where he'll go six of nine and have sixteen points and eight rebounds and get an extra three or four minutes and it will look appealing. And then he'll go and have three points on four shots, which he did tonight. And that's why he's not a twelve team league guy. Well at least at least not in my opinion. Let's move on to the next one. It's the uh, Boston Celtics. They took on the Orlando Magic. No, uh, no Isaiah Thomas, who was out with that groin issue. So we had uh, Marcus Smart make the start. Now, Smart played just 23 minutes. He was limited by foul trouble, but it was still an impressive performance. He is an absolute animal on defense. 13-3-3 for Smart, two steals, and five of seven from the field. Just when you get a shooting lot like that from Smart, appreciate it, treasure it, and don't expect it to happen too often. But he's always got this ability to go rebounds and assists at the same level to get threes and to get steals. And that's why I still do like him, assuming your team is built around punting field goal percentage because he's going to murder that a lot of the times, but he can give you these other peripheral numbers, which can be pretty interesting. With Smart limited with the foul trouble, Terry Rozier stepped up. He had 16 and 5 in his 26 minutes. Obviously, he goes back to a minimal role or a role in the mid-teens when, uh, when Thomas is back, but it was nice to see him perform in a bigger role, on a bigger stage, and uh, Dynasty people must be pretty interested to see where it goes moving forward. They made another change to their starting lineup, bringing Amir Johnson back in and sending Jonas Jurepko back to the bench. We don't know which is permanent, whether the Jurepko one was just a, a one-off thing, but there was there's no value in these guys anyway. Johnson played 23 minutes after playing four in the last match, 11-5, and five. And that's probably one of his better performances, but he just doesn't get enough playing time. Neither does Kelly Olinick, Tyler Zala, Jonas Jerebko, none of those guys to be interesting. And I still maintain that I just want Kelly Olinick to get these minutes because he's the best player out of these guys and he should be getting these minutes. And I think it suits the Celtics well. Jay Crowder, 17 and 10, a nice, uh, nice performance there. And Horford had 10, 6 and 8, a lot of assists coming from Horford this year with two block shots in only the 29 minutes. This game was a, a pretty significant blowout to guys like Smart and Horford and Crowder and Bradley, who, who had a chance for some you know, big lines, didn't get to, to get that because you know, they were missing four or five minutes off what they could have potentially gotten. Bradley was great as well uh, with a team high 23 points. On to the Magic, they struggled. Uh, offensively here. DJ Augustine, the leader, with 15 points in 24 minutes, hit four triples and didn't do a lot else, but Alfred Payton still played more minutes than him, and that's been the theme since they made that change to the starting point guard, is that Augustine starts and Payton plays more minutes. Now, Payton wasn't the same guy that destroyed the Wizards. He still had 10-4-4 four, four with a steal on 5-8 of eight shooting, which is impressive stuff. He played 28 minutes. He is not an auto-drop, nor is Augustine an auto-add to me. I'm, 
no, oh, he wouldn't be an auto ad anyway because the game, the the switch is you know, four or five games old. But you see this happening. This is August, and it's a good good night from him. But it just doesn't happen enough, and he doesn't get enough minutes to make me think this is a must own twelve team league guy. As for Peyton, he's put up decentish lines. The the move to the bench has probably limited his upside more than limited his sort of floor production. And in certain situations, I still own him in 12-team leagues, and I'll continue to do it because he's continuing to give me just sort of close to what I need without hitting his absolute ceiling. But you have a look. You see what's around. You make a move if necessary. He's he's gone from a guy that I wouldn't have dropped to a guy that I now consider to drop, but I haven't done it yet. Nick Vucevic, same thing. The ceiling's limited. 27 minutes, 12 and 10 with two steals for Vuce. So that's um, obviously some good, good numbers there, but... The minutes, he's just not getting enough of them to really achieve his full potential. And this is sort of where he's going to be, even though he does produce in the limited time he's on the court. Serge Barker, not a great night there. 8-8 eight and eight with a steal and a block. And Evan Fournier had 14-3-5. and five. Nobody played over 30 minutes in this game because it was a blowout. Aaron Gordon was terrible. 5-3-4 and four with a 3 and a steal on 2-9 of nine shooting. Missed both his free throws. I think you got to move on from him. If you haven't already, I think he's got to go in 12-team leagues. I think he's got to go... In 10-team leagues, definitely, I don't really see a reason to to hold on to him. Unfortunately, because he does have the best upside there, but it's just not going to happen. Jeff Green was equally putrid, but it doesn't seem to matter to Vogel. He will just continue to split their minutes. Bismack Biombo played 26 in the start. He's not that good. Four and five. He... He's not that good for he's not that good for fantasy. He has absolutely no offensive ability whatsoever. So I do think it hurts the Magic at times. Despite that offensive outburst against Washington, you know, these eighty-seven point performances is probably going to be more realistic or more what we expect from them. Um, while Biombo is getting big minutes, but he didn't play a huge amount here. He is a, a streaming specialist type of guy who is more probably suited, I'd say, to fourteen team leagues. Let's look now at the. Uh, the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. I touched on the injuries already. We add Scooter Magruder to that list. He played 31 minutes today. Probably his best game as well, Magruder. 11-5-5, five five, two threes, two steals, one block. They're really good numbers, but he, he's he been invisible most of the time that he started this year. And now with an injury to boot, we're talking with 30-team league guy, and that's about it. Wayne Allenton shoots, and he shoots a lot. 19 points in 41 minutes with four triples. Definitely ownable while all these injuries are going on. And Goran Dragic had some shoulder issues in this game, but played 35 and went 21-2-4 with a triple one. Obviously, good numbers from him as well. Whiteside wasn't awesome. 4 of 12 from the field. Um, I guess one positive you could say for Hassan is that he didn't take a free throw, and he's been horrible at that this season. But just the one block and eight points, clearly not his best night. And Joshua McRoberts, who started and played 30 minutes, I would have thought he could have been more productive in that time, going 2-2-4. Two, two, Probably more of a 14-team league guy until these guys come back. Onto the Hawks, Paulie Millsap was great, really producing right across the board. 21-9-2, four steals, three blocks, great percentages. And since he, he missed that game with the hip, he's come back pretty strong. I don't, you, you can't really buy low after this sort of performance, but I hope you were able to acquire him. I've had my doubts about him, but he was never going to be that player who was outside the top 50. Dwighty Howard also bounced back in a much-needed win for the Heat, uh, for, Heat for the Hawks. 23-17-4 for Howard. A steal, two blocks, and five of six from the line. So Dwight Howard owners would be really happy there. And Dennis Schroeder, who was who was putting up numbers while the uh, the terribleness was going on, he went he did it again, 17-4-7 with a triple one. 
really good percentages. And again, he was a really good buy low guy. Hopefully you were able to pull that off. There was no Kent Bazemore because he's uh, he's dealing with knee soreness. So Tim Hardaway Jr. started and he went out with a sore knee as well. Bang knees. 22 minutes for Hardaway, 7 points, 2 assists and a steal. You know my thoughts on Bazemore. He can be cut if there's someone you want to add. Hardaway is not the guy to go and own though. Tabo Cephalosha, maybe he is. He's played 29 here, Tabo. 10-5-5 and with a steal. He's going to continue to get defensive numbers. He's had occasional scoring outbursts. He's far from a must-own sort of player, but with uh, with what he can do, there's there's arguments to be made that you know, he fits on a 12-team roster. It's not every roster it's going to fit on, but he's in this nice role. Now, if Hardaway has to miss time, we're going to see Cole Corver likely back starting. Even in his bench role, Corver has played over 30 minutes, more than he was playing starting. He played 34 today, 9-3-5. and five. But it doesn't make me reevaluate my position on Corver and think, yeah, he's a guy to own now because he's playing 30 plus. He's still not. Uh, he's a shit. The Hawks are playing. There's a few games on. I need some threes. Let's add Kyle Corver. That's about where he sits for me. And Malcolm Delaney, Torian Prince, not a lot to to like with what we saw from them. Now the uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Brooklyn Nets. Let's start with the Nuggets. There has to be changes. There has to be. Michael Malone got ejected in this game, and the Nets were up by like 30 points. And then the Nuggets went on a roll, and they came back and closed it to within two, and the Nets ended up winning by five. A huge run. But the starting lineup for this Nuggets team is horrendous. Horrendous. Moutier, Gallo, Barton, Fareed, Nurkic. Horrendous. Ken Fareed played four minutes in the first half. He had four points and five boards. He came on late and provided some key offensive rebounds, but he is not a starter. Yusuf Nurkic played 17 minutes, 11 and three, actually some decent numbers, but didn't play at all in the second half, really. Just didn't see the court. And you know what? That's fine, because the guy behind him is at least 250% better. And Nikola Jokic playing 21 minutes is a disgrace, and he needs to play more. I don't care what anybody anybody says. You can you can tell me that I don't know about coaching or whatever. But if it's not clear that Nikola Jokic is the better player, then I don't know what I'm watching. Jokic played 21 minutes, 14, 11, and 3. One block, 5 of 7 from the field. Hit all four of his free throws. Key plays late, key buckets, key blocks. There is no reason to have him playing. So if, there's no reason in a 48-minute game to, to have 10 minutes without a center on the court when you could give those minutes to Jokic. He was still awesome in limited minutes. He needs to be owned in all leagues, as I mentioned. Hopefully, you did buy low. And I think that he's going to really start flying home now because Malone has to make a change. This starting five is horrible. The Nurkic-Fareed combination is horrible. Maybe a Jokic-Fareed combination works better because at least one of them can shoot and one of them can stretch out a little bit and one of them is a good passer. Um yeah, Jokic and Arthur could be another combination. They started Darrell Arthur in the second half. He didn't do much. He hit a three, but again, he can shoot. So I think they probably are better off stylistically by having Fareed and Jokic together and by having Arthur and Nurkic together. Shooters, non-shooters, you know, mixing it up that way. But Jokic needs more minutes. It's as clear as day, even though he's producing, something needs to change. And I believe it will. But Malone says this shit all the time and then does nothing about it. So either he is 
the world's greatest liar or he doesn't have the balls to tell the players that we're changing things around. Because he'll come out there and say, you know what, I've been unfair to Jokic, haven't played him, you know, he deserves more minutes, oh, it's my fault, it's my fault, we need to get him in there. Cool, four minutes in the first quarter. That's the sort of shit that he'll pull. So he says the right things, he says what everyone understands, and then doesn't do it. Wilson Chandler was great, 27 and 15 with six rebounds uh, and a steal. And we need to see more Nuggets lineups of Gallo, Chandler, Jokic. And then in the backcourt, you know, Barton and probably even Jameer Nelson at this point. Or or no Barton and Jamal Murray, who I really like. That's They're the lineups we need to see more of. As for Barton, he played 39 minutes, started off the game horribly. I think for about the first quarter, he was on negative DFS points. Ended up with 15 and 9, had two steals and a block and recovered. He, I still don't think that he, he's good. You know my thoughts on him. He struggled a little bit with his shot in this game here. And... Gaz Harris, who's likely back in the next week or so, is what Malone said. He is going to take Barton's playing time. And by the time we hit January, Barton will be down below 30 minutes. I've got no doubt about that because Gaz will be playing. He'll be playing 33-34. And Jamal Murray will be will be demanding minutes um, with Barton. Now, the other thing is, is Emmanuel Moutier is being, he's terrible at the moment. 18 minutes for Moutier, 6 and 2. He can't get even 25 minutes in the last few games. 2 of 10 from the field, 2 of 4 from the free throw line. Obviously, his upside is significant, but Jameer Nelson's clearly outplaying him. Jamal Murray is clearly outplaying him. So what do what does Malone do? If I own Moutier, I'm not all that keen on holding him, to be honest. I think that you can look in other areas. Do you look to Nelson, who had 14, 5, and 5 with two steals? Do you look to Murray, who had 12, 5, and 3 with a steal and two triples? I think either one is obviously fine. Murray is a higher upside guy. I just feel that Malone will be a little bit more uh, up and down with what he does with, with Jamal's minutes. Uh, as for Jameer, Jameer and Jamal, as for Jameer, um, yeah, we know we know what we're getting. I don't think his ceiling's that high, but he's putting up some pretty good numbers. And you know, if you need to if you need to move on, and you never just cut someone for the sake of it, you never cut someone to send a message because I can assure you Manuel Moutier gives less than two shits about whether he gets cut in fantasy. You cut someone to add someone. And that's if there's someone that you want to add, you do it. You don't go, I need to cut him, let's let's cut him, and then let's add someone who might be actually worse. So you have a look at that. But your changes are, are going to come. The Rooster played just 23 minutes, 5, 3, and 3. Not not a great night for Gallo there, but he will he will be better than that moving forward. Onto the Nets. Shawnee Kilpatrick, 22, 6, and 3, two triples, 32 minutes, playing very, very good basketball. At the moment, really like what he's doing. He's he just feels I don't feel secure in him, but he's a he's a clear guy to own. And what about Joey Harris? Really putting up the good numbers: sixteen points, two triples, two steals in twenty-four minutes for Harris. He's going to lose some playing time when Jeremy Lin comes back. You'd have to assume, but not a hundred percent because oh no, no, he will because yeah, Lin has to get back to his 28, 30 minutes. But Harris is playing very well, and he's a great three-point stream, and he's a he's obviously a really good, say, 20-team leaguer, and he's he's available in those leagues. 16-teamer, you could even consider Joe Harris there for the short term. Isaiah Whitehead turned in a good performance, but when you're playing Denver, it doesn't really count a huge amount, given how poor they've been. But still, it's good to see Whitehead going 14-2-2, having four steals, having two triples. A good night from Whitehead, but he's probably outside 12-team league consideration to me. Brookie Lopez, 24, 8-4, two, uh, two blocks and two threes. Awesome. 19 for Boyan and Trevor Booker, 15-12 and 12 with five assists. You know, big nights from heaps of the Nets players. But the guy I was most excited to see was my boy Karis Levert. He played. He made his debut. And 
he had three steals in nine minutes. He had four boards. He didn't hit a shot, missed all three of them. But you just have to... I, I look at him and go, you know what? This guy gets it. This guy's got an NBA body. He's long. He's got a huge wingspan. He's 6'7". He can play the three. He was playing the four at times here. He's a point guard as well. He's going to be a good player. Where where does he go with minutes this season? Probably not going to get high enough to really even touch the sides of a 12-team league. But you know I like him long-term in Dynasty. He's a guy that can be an assist, three-pointer, steals, scorer type of player with decent efficiency. And in a deeper league, he's back into the rotation here. I think his role only increases from here. Like Guys like Randy Foy, they don't need to play. Like We can see Levert start getting some of that playing time. Ronda Hollis Jefferson, oh yuck, zero of six from the from the field, zero points, three rebounds, and a block. Impossible to hold him in twelve team leagues. He has to go. He has regressed significantly in many areas this year. And I still got high hopes for him, but it's obviously not uh it's not looking great at, at this current point in uh, in his career. But he'll be better. The Lakers. And the Rockets, this was um, a destruction. 40 points, basically 39 points. The Lakers made a change to their starting lineup. They brought Marcelo Huertas in and Jordy Clarkson in. We had Metta World Peace and Brandon Ingram go to the bench. So Huertas came in and was good. Now, I don't know why he's playing 31 minutes, but 10-3-7 with five steals is very productive. We're obviously not getting Young or Russell back anytime soon, so they might stick with Huerta starting. So you might be able to use him as a short-term guy. I don't believe he gets 30 every night. I, I don't think that's happening, but maybe low 20s. Maybe that happens for Huertas, and that can be useful. But this is possibly going to be his best performance. Lou Williams, I don't even know what to say about this guy anymore. 24 points on 12 shots including a 66-foot buzzer beater at halftime. He didn't have much else, one rebound, zero assists, but three steals, one block, two triples. A great night again from Lou Williams. I can't help but think that there is no way that this continues. There, there, is, there is zero chance that he continues at this rate. Zero. It, it, it can't happen. No Thank you. No it just it doesn't... I, don't, I can't I can't put my finger on why he just hits every shot now. Julius Randle only played the 29 minutes, but 21 and 10, that's sort of getting him back on track after a pretty lean run. And Brandon Ingram played 33 off the bench, so it didn't matter sort of where he played, but 12 and 7 with a steal, a block, and two triples. And this always goes into my thought process, you know, oh, they're moving Ingram to the bench because they don't want him to match up on Harden, but they'll still play him 33 minutes, so he doesn't match up with Harden at the start of a quarter, but just does for the rest of the game. So what's the difference at the start of the first quarter? Like, how, how does it make... Any real difference in that case? Uh, yeah. Coaching sometimes is very, very odd. The old Deng is dreadful. You've got three more years of this after after this year's Laker fans. Two and two in 22 minutes for him. And Geordie Clarkson is in an absolute funk. Seven points in 35 minutes. Three of 13 shooting. Two rebounds. Two assists. Not a lot happening, happening for Clarkson. He's in a great spot to succeed. He just isn't at all. You'll get... You know, I guess in a 10-team league, you might think, you know, I can consider dropping Clarkson. I wouldn't. I, I would still hold on to him, but I understand that it's getting annoying with with the sort of shit that he's putting up at the moment. But he, he will be better, so he's a bit of a buy-low guy to me, actually. Onto the Rockets, Jim Harden, 25-6-8, four steals, four triples. That's pretty impressive. And Eric Gordon was equally impressive, going 26-4-2 and and hitting eight triples and doing it on nine of 13 shooting. He has been great over the last week or so, Gordo. Pat Bev, also fantastic. But we must remember that the team that they're playing was beat up. They had they were starting Marcelo Huertas in the backcourt. 
32 minutes for Pat Bev, 10, 7, and 12, three steals, two triples there for Beverly. Some really, um, yeah, some really good numbers. And 12 assists is a career high. I wouldn't be expecting big assist numbers from him moving forward, but he's got enough value in an eight cat league to consider him. I just don't believe his upside is absolutely that high. But in terms of his importance to this team, he is flying and he is a key part for them really looking like a significant challenger. Sammy Decker played in some, a lot of junk time, 12, 8, and 4 in 23 minutes, while Ryan Anderson had 12 points in his 25 minutes. You could say that he was limited because the game was a blowout. I'd also say that he's not that good, but in this case, it's a, it's a blowout-related reduction in minutes for Ryan Anderson, while Trevor Ariza had his three steals and 11 points. Clint Capella only played 20, 12 and 9 with two steals and two blocks. You don't really care too much, although obviously all of the upside of these guys was... was was capped because it was a 40-point smashing and they weren't able to play their full allotment of minutes, limiting for what they could do in uh, in your seasonal leagues and in DFS. Cleveland and the Knicks, another another absolute ass-kicking. Kyrie Irving, 28-2-6. LeBron, 25-6-7. Two blocks and a three. And Kevin Love went 21-4 and four with four triples and two steals. Like, not much to see with those guys. There was no J.R. Smith, so DeAndre Liggins started. He played 21 minutes, and he looked all right. He looked, he's a really good defender. He was a, he's a two-time D-League Defensive Player of the Year, and that's where what he does. But he came in, he hit a couple of threes for six points. He's probably going to start if Smith misses another, which it doesn't appear likely, but it, it is possible for Smith to miss another game. But you're not going to do anything with Liggins. In Smith's absence, Iman Shumpert stepped up, 14-6 and six with four triples and two steals. He is shooting about 10% better than what he was last season. Looks an improved player. He's not a 12-team league guy, but you can absolutely stream him short-term while Smith remains out, get some increased shot attempts, some steals, some threes, and do it at pretty good efficiency. So that's what he's currently doing at the moment. On to the Knicks. Uh, Derek Rose was out with those back spasms, so Brandon Jennings started 16-4-3 with a triple for Jennings. Rose, there's no structural issue with his back, so that's good news. He could miss more time, and I think he probably does miss some more time with his back issue. Maybe only another couple of games, but Jennings has been putting up enough value to be usable regardless of if Rose is playing. With the with his ability to get five assists a game, which is what Jennings has been doing, that's going to be useful in even 12-team leagues. Sure, he'll have some off nights, but grab Jennings and deal with it and see how it goes moving forward. You might get another start, you might get another two starts, or you might get a guy playing 22 minutes off the bench and giving you five assists and one and a half steals, which is still really valuable in that spot. So he should be owned. Courtney Lee had an offensive explosion, especially for him. 15 points with three triples, five assists and two steals. Still more of a deeper league guy. And I uh, I said Laker fans, good luck with Lil Deng for the next four years. Knicks fans, joke him Noah, how's that going? Five and six in 15 minutes for Noah, two assists, and he just looks dreadful. He just gets smashed every time he's out in the court. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that Kylo Quinn's playing better than him. Or I wouldn't go as far as saying Kylo Quinn is a better player, but you know what? It's not far away. Cock played 21 minutes, had 10, 7, and 3, and again, getting the most minutes out of the centers. What do you do with O'Quinn? Is he a guy that you look at in 12-team leagues? Well, he's putting up enough value to be useful in that spot. And if he got to 27 minutes a night, we're talking about a guy that could realistically crack the top 70 with what he can do. The problem is, I just don't think those minutes are coming. Um, Hornacek's got two ways of doing it. He takes Billy Hernan Gomez's 15 minutes and gives six or seven of them to O'Quinn, which might work in, in the Knicks' favor. Or he moves O'Quinn to the starting lineup and plays Noah 12 minutes a night. I don't know if he wants to continue running these three centers and Paul Zingas as a center. 
it doesn't feel optimal. So I think he should be looking to get Billy out of the rotation and make this switch and get O'Quinn some more playing time, but I don't necessarily think that Hornacek's ready to do that just yet. But grabbing O'Quinn, sitting on him in a 14-team league is a must, I, I believe, at this point. In a 12-team league, I can totally understand doing it for the next week and just feeling it out. We're not in desperation stakes in 12-team leagues just yet. We're not in a spot where you know you can't afford to grab someone and see what happens for a week. When you hit to January, then you're probably more in that situation. But for now, you can sort of make a uh, make a gamble or take a gamble and say, you know what, I'll I'll take O'Quinn, I'll sit him here. Let's see what happens. Let's see how this progresses because it's definitely the arrow is pointing firmly in Cox's direction, and he is putting up really good numbers in only limited playing time. Porzingis, he struggled a bit. Porzingis, thank you, Stephen. 30 minutes, 12 points. The shot is really, really off at the moment with Porzingis. By low time is now, if people are souring, I doubt they will because he's he's a guy that's a pretty big fan favorite, but you never know. It's the time you start probing his owner and seeing if you can get this some value. Still hit hit two threes. Still had two blocks, but far from far from his best night. And speaking of far from your best night, Carmelo Anthony had eight and four in 24 minutes, battled some foul trouble as Porzingis did as well, but not a great, uh, not a great mellow performance as the Knicks got their uh, their ass handed to them pretty significantly. Let's look at the next game, which is the Portland Trailblazers and the Milwaukee Bucks. Huge win for the Bucks here. Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum were, were on. Eight, and, 8 of 18 for Lillard for 30 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, and 5 triples, while McCollum went 23, 3 and 5 with 4 triples. Good games from both of those guys. Um, Alfaruk Aminu still working his way back. 2, 4, and 2 in 18 minutes. I think that he's going to be a 12-team league guy, but I don't think his upside is that high that you necessarily have to wait through all the growing pains for him to get back into it. Again, it's not like Ed Davis is killing it or Myers Leonard is killing it in his place, so he is going to work back in, but his upside's not high enough to necessarily just hold, but in some cases, you can. I think he does challenge the top 100 this season, Aminu. What about Mo Harkless? Just keeps on keeping on. 11-4-4 for Moe. Four steals and a triple. You know what I'm going to say. Own him. Has to be done. Same with Mason Plumlee. 10-10-4, two steals and three blocks. Those guys have been really, really impressive this season. The opposite of what Evan Turner has been. 6-4-3 for Turner in this one. On to the Bucks. Giannis Adetokounmpo. 15-12-11, two steals and four blocks. Didn't shoot the ball particularly well, four of 11 from the field, seven of 10 from the line, missed all three of his three-point attempts. But another triple-double for Giannis, he is one behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the Bucks' all-time career record and does it defensively as well. I think we need a name because Giannis, Giannis and Anthony Davis are two guys who are going to go close to this. I think Giannis is going to do it. A triple-double and a five-by-five. Five. I, I think that Giannis is going to do it. He missed here by a block and three steals. Davis missed that early in the season, I believe, by two blocks, perhaps. The, Giannis is going to do it. So I may maybe go back and, uh, hey, I want to hear your suggestions. What should we call it? A triple-double, a triple-double five-by-five. It just doesn't, it doesn't come off the, uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue. We could also name it after the, the only player in NBA history that's ever done it. And that's Hakeem Olajuwon. He has done it twice, and he is the only player to ever ever do it. And those two were triple doubles in which he had 10 blocks. So maybe you call it the Hakeem. I don't know. I like a better name for a triple double 5x5. Five five. Malcolm Brogdon, guys, it's happening. It's not quite happening, but it's 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 sort of happening. 24 minutes for Brogo, 13 points, 3 assists, 2 steals, 3 triples, 1 block. I'll say it again. 
He is the perfect Chris Middleton replacement. Perfect. But instead, we've got Tony Snell going out there and basically just teabagging the whole Bucks organization by playing minutes. He doesn't need to be out there. He's no good. Brogdon is. Is he worth a 12-team ad? Well, like I mentioned with Kylo Quinn before, maybe you can just add him and see where Jason Kidd goes. It's not like Kidd is afraid to make moves. He's He doesn't have that that issue that Hornacek may have with O'Quinn. He's not afraid to make a decision and change things up. And Brogdon, is, he's going to be up and down. There's no doubt about it. But when he's up, then we're talking about a guy that's got a real chance to crack the top 120 for the rest of the year. He, he does have that opportunity. And he's going to be interesting to see how it goes. He did play more minutes again over at Matthew Dellavedova. They basically split the point guard minutes. I'd like to see them playing together more often. Daly was still good, though. 17-4 and four with three triples and an assist. And I believe Daly is a 12-team league guy over Brogdon. But Brogdon is, is coming. He's coming pretty hard. Johnny Henson, this is the John Henson that, that I know and love. 25 minutes for Henson, 7-6 and six with two blocks. He's just not that good. He's a good shot blocker. He's a horrible defender. He's not a good offensive player. And you see the minutes starting to come down now, into the mid-20s, and the production's dropping as well. 7-6 and six for Henson. Do you still have to own him? I reckon you still do. I reckon you still own him. But as I said, Jason Kidd's not afraid to make a change, and a change could come really at any time. Let's hope that means it's Greg Munro's turn if that change does come because he's clearly the best center. It's clear by a significant margin, not probably as clear as the Nikola Jokic being the best big man in Denver margin, but it's a pretty significant margin. But Jason Kidd just has a real issue with, with playing him. He still played 23, had 15 and 4 and 3 steals and putting up enough value that he has to be owned. Now, he's owned in 80% of the league, so he's not going to be floated on many waiver-wise. But if he is, I'm going to make that grab. Jabari Parker had a great 27.9, but the problem is he did nothing else. Three rebounds, one assist, no steals, no blocks, 23 shots it took him. He's still a nice scoring night, but not much else happening there for uh, for Jabari. Let's move on now to the Sacramento Kings and the Dallas Mavericks. Rudy Gay, just, just a standard Rudy Gay night, 19-3-4 with four steals, and the Kings made another change to their starting lineup. Out of the starting lineup was Aaron Aflalo. In was Ben McLemore. Now, let's start with the, the good. Aaron Aflalo did not play at all. He has been a non-NBA player in my mind for the last three seasons, and maybe teams are just starting to catch on. that He's just not a good player. He'd been playing under 20 minutes the last couple of starts and now completely out of the rotation. The bad is the guy that replaced him, Ben McLemore, was also pretty yuck. He was 2 of 11 for 9 points. But, yeah, Jaeger's giving him a bit more of a chance than what George Carl did last season. McLemore is clearly just a guy to watch at this point, but I think that if he was to, to get to to get it get it happening, and it's a bit of a long shot now, he can be a top one twenty guy. He can be a top one hundred guy because he's an above average rebounder for his position. He hits threes, he can score, he can get some steals as well. His percentages can be okay, so he does have a decent fantasy fantasy ish game. He's just got absolutely no confidence at the moment. So he's not a guy to run out and grab unless you're talking 16-team leagues, 18-team leagues probably. Garrett Temple was awesome. I don't... I've got no... I will always say if there's a player that I don't think is good or I don't like, when they do something good, they get praise. And Garrett Temple was great. He was 17 points on six shots. That's ridiculous. Five of six from the field. Hit four triples, had three rebounds and three assists. But we've seen this shit before. We've seen him go out there and have a hot streak, and he's just not that good of a player. So while these numbers look awesome in this game, and you might say, okay, well, he's going to take a lot of these shooting guard minutes, 
He's just not good enough for me to look at in 12-team leagues and say, you know what, I want Garrett Temple. This is a really unsustainable hot streak of shooting that will definitely dip off, and he doesn't do enough in the other areas. Even in the times last season when he was replacing Bradley Beal and playing 36 minutes, he would struggle to crack the top 150 in value, and that's going to be the same story here. Darren Collison, 19-3-3 in 30 minutes, while Ty Lawson went from 9 minutes to 21 minutes and had 6-2-1. You leave Lawson for the, the deeper leagues, while Matty Barnes just 2-3-5 and five in 24 minutes. No, it's not happening in 12-team leagues. Keep an eye on Omri Caspi, though, who's back in the rotation. 18 minutes for Caspi, 10-5-3. We know he is a comfortable 12-team league guy if he gets 27-plus. The problem is he just looks like he's a long way away from getting those 27 minutes. 63% of leagues own Darren Williams, and it needs to be higher. 20 points Two rebounds, six assists, and three triples for Williams. Has to be owned. It's it's non-negotiable. Must-own player. Wes Matthews you know, really picked it up after a slow start to the season. He still can be streaky, and not, not a lot else comes out of the categories normally. But 16-4-1, a steal, a block, four triples is great. Not a lot else was great for Dallas. Salah Mejri did get the start in place of Andrew Bogut, and of course, he ran into foul trouble guarding DeMarcus Cousins. 11 minutes, 2-7 and seven for Mejri. He'll play more than this moving forward, and he will be a blocks, rebounds, field goal percentage source that you can actually own in 12-team leagues. Now, Dwight Powell was the people that everyone was uh, everyone was ready to go give a reach around to. He played 25 minutes, 6-5-5 five, and five with two steals and a block. He will be up and down, I believe. He'll play some minutes at the 4, some at the 5. He can't play full-time at the 5, though, and Mejri, I do believe, will be the, the, more, the more appealing guy during this three- to four-week absence for Bogut. I just... I just don't feel that Carlisle will feel comfortable giving 30 minutes to, to Dwight Powell moving forward. And I really like Dwight Powell. I just, I've just i got to look at it from his point of view, from Rick Carlisle's point of view, and how he seems to view it. And I just don't think he has full confidence in Dwighty going out there. We had uh, 28 minutes for John Gibson. He had 7-2. and two. He was a flash in the pan for one game. And Justin Anderson dropped in 13 points in 15 minutes. Pretty impressive to have that many points, especially considering he uh, scored shot just 38% in that limited time frame. Indiana and Phoenix. Talked about Miles Turner already. Paul George with a big game, 25-13 and 13 with three steals. And Jeffy Teague was uh, was good as well. He went 19-5-11 with two steals. One of the games that was sort of kept close for majority of it, so it enabled some decent production. But what about what do we do with Monte Ellis? 22 minutes for Monte, 5-4 and four with a three and an assist. I don't think that you should hold Monte Ellis in 10-team leagues. I think he's gone. He is ranked 100th on the season, but he is well outside the top 150 over the last two weeks, and some of that time has come without Paul George. In a 12-team league, I don't... I It depends who you're adding. But he is far from stable. He is far from having a lock next to his name. Really, really poor. Just horrible. Just usage down. Um, not doing what he needs to do assist-wise. The steals are down. Useless at the moment. Thad Young, who was the dart of the night yesterday, I believe, or the day before. He played 30 minutes. So that's great. He took three shots. This was the real concern with Young coming over is he's going to have a massive cut in touches and usage. And when you play 30 minutes and take three shots, it's a real issue. Nine points, though, so he still converted it really efficiently. True shooting of 95%, which is awesome. Nine boards and a block. I'd rather hold him than Monte at this point, but he uh, is not getting back to to a Brooklyn numbers 
Al Jefferson played over Kevin Serafin, 15 and 6 for Jefferson, so really good offensive production, two steals in his 19 minutes. And Rod Stuckey continues to be decent in Monte Ellis' struggles, 12 and 3 in 26 minutes for Stuckey, but we're just talking deeper league stuff with uh, both of those guys. Well, CJ Miles hasn't really got it going since returning from his knee. 16 minutes for two points and three rebounds, and he, there's no reason to own him. There's no reason to have owned him in 12-team leagues when the injury struck, and there's clearly no reason to now. On to Phoenix. Um, luckily, we got 32 minutes of Tyson Chandler, 10-10 and 10 with two steals for Chandler. Actually, pretty decent production, and he can have use in fantasy leagues. I just don't understand or I don't buy into why, um, why Earl Watson continues to play him so many minutes in this game. Yeah, partly Alex Land fouled out in 16 minutes, so of course they had to give Chandler those minutes. But in a general sense, Len's not someone to own. There's no reason to own Len because he's just not going to get the minutes. And Chandler's going to have nights where he plays 30, he's going to play 38, he's going to play 25. He's going to be up and down, but he does have some fantasy usefulness. A decent night for Marquise Chris, but he's still not playing enough for us to give two shits about. And Eric Bledsoe, 15, 3, and 4. Three steals and a block, not a bad performance. Whereas Devin Booker, Brandon Knight, both of those guys struggled. 13, 4, and 5 for Booker, but it came on 4 of 13 shooting, while Knight had 10, 3, and 3 on 3 of 10 shooting. Knight in 12-team leagues, you can likely do better. Booker, he's got a long way to go. PJ Tucker played 34 minutes and did nothing. Seven points in that playing time, and, and TJ Warren's return really can't come soon enough if you're a... Uh, if you're a Suns fan, a fantasy fan, a basketball fan, a common sense fan. Let's move on to the last game of the night. This was comical at times. The Golden State Warriors and Los Angeles Clippers. Steph Curry only had 19 points, but who cares when you have four rebounds, six assists, and seven steals as well. Another huge performance from Steph. Draymond actually got things going offensively, scoring 22 with five, four, and two steals. And Clay had 24 points. And it was Kevin Durant who really missed out, I guess. When you say he missed out, he had 16, 8, and 7 but went 5 of 17 from the field. So it's the big dogs getting it done again. They didn't have to play many minutes for the second game during this five-game week. And Steve Kerr has said that he is going to probably most likely rest players, but he's also said that Draymond, or Draymond and Clay don't want to rest and Durant doesn't want to rest. Uh, it's going to be guys like Pachulia or Iguodala. Iguodala is the one who is almost definitely going to rest one of these games, and it could come on Thursday against a Jazz team who is already without Rod Hood, George Hill, Derek Favors. So you're going to have someone rest for the Warriors. I just don't know who it's going to be, but they've done a good job of cutting minutes out in these first two games this week. Not much else to really talk about with the Warriors. Onto the Clippers. Eh. DeAndre Jordan, 10 and 12. Chrissy Paul, 15, 6 and 5. And Blakey Griffin was abysmal. 5 of 20. 2 of 4 from the line. Really hurt your percentages in a big way. 12 and 9 total for Griffin, and, and uh, Jamal Crawford led the team in scoring with 21, with four assists and three triples. I don't think that Jamal Crawford is a 12-team league guy, despite putting up some relatively decent performances recently. Mo Spates did his uh, little bench cameo 15 and 9 in 16 minutes, which comes once every five to six games, and it's just not reliable enough in other situations. And Ray Felton was out of this game for personal reasons. He'll also miss the Clippers next game, so that meant that Austin Rivers played 29, and that'll probably be the case moving forward. 14, 2 and 2 for Rivers. Yeah, look, that makes him a guy that you want to look at in probably 14 team leagues, but I'm not even looking to grab him in any, anything else. J.J. Redick had 22 minutes for two points, yuck, and Luke Marmute with two points in 15 minutes, also yuck. Not a good night for uh, for Clippers players or Clippers fans in general. That is all of the action covered from Wednesday. 
I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back to preview the six games from a DFS point of view that will be occurring on Thursday. that the uh, the interlude song is no longer there. And I'll explain why it's not, not there. Now, when I introduced the mid-show song, it was because I do the show live on YouTube and, and when I talk for an hour and 20 minutes in a row, it's tough without having a drink or having a breath or anything. So it was a good place to, to split the show up, get myself prepared to switch from review to preview mode, put the song on, grab a drink, scratch my ass, whatever I needed to do in that time. But then I realized, because people, you say, oh, that song, song shoots me, don't listen to the song. And I know some people like the song, um, but in a podcast form, it doesn't need to be there because it's not serving that purpose of me going to regather my thoughts or, or grab a drink. So that's why it's not there in the podcast, because I don't need to piss people off for a start. And its practicality and its functionality is just no, there's no need for it. So that's why when you do listen to the podcast, you'll notice that, that song isn't there. So I apologize if you do like the song, you can always go and download it and support the artists that do it. There are links over on each show note post on Red Rock Basketball where you can find those songs. But in the podcast form, you likely won't hear that again. But if you're watching on YouTube or watching live, it will be there because, as again, it's 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 a reason for me to, or it's an, it's an ability for me to actually transition, get my stuff sorted. And, uh, and rest my voice for about 10 seconds, which is uh, is needed at times. Let's look at the perfect DFS lineup. Fanjul, Tyler Johnson, 40.9. I loved Johnson yesterday or Wednesday. I loved him on Wednesday and had him in lots of my lineups. Pat Bev, I wasn't quite there with him, 37.4. The um, shooting guard, Shawnee Kilpatrick, 33.7. And Yanni at 54.9. Small forwards, Chandler of the Wilson variety at 45. Paulie George of 45.1. Power forwards, Paulie Millsap, 45.8. My boy, Nick Jokic, 32.7. And Dwighty Howard at 54.4, really reversing his current trend of form. That lineup gave you 389.9 on a night where I thought for sure you'd be getting 410s, 420s. But uh, yeah, the blowouts ruined that in a big way. On DraftKings, Pat Bev, 42.75. Scooter Magruder, 31.25. Georgie, of the Paul variety, 49.25. Wilson Chandler, 51.25. Drummond at 57.5. Teague at 46.25. Paul Millsap at 47.75. And Dwighty Howard at 57.25 for 383.25. You'll see that the, the Pacers game was relatively close. The Hawks game was relatively close. So you get lots of players there. The Heat guys, Tyler Johnson, Scooter Magruder, Millsap, Howard, the Pacers guys, George and Teague. When those games get kept closer, and even the Nuggets guys, Kilpatrick and Jokic, Wilson Chandler, you know, they can play their minutes, whereas some of the other guys, you know, Harden, when the game's done by 40, the Warriors guys, when the game's done by 30, it's, just, it's harder to get these guys into, into perfect lineups, or even if you've got them in your lineups for you to, to cash in. It was a, it was a shit day in DFS in a, in a lot of respects for that reason. 
The first game we'll take a look at is those Denver Nuggets taking on the Washington Wizards. This is the game, I think, to stack. Um, Fantasy-friendly teams with piss-poor defenses, uh, a pretty tight spread of six, a the highest total of the day of 218. This is the game that I believe that if you're going to have multiple players, this is the one that, that you should be going for. Let's look at point guards. Johnny Wall is flying. 9,800, so it's a significant salary rise on FanDuel, but averaging over 50 in the last five. Dropped a casual 71 against the Magic. And is Jameer Nelson or Emmanuel Moutier stopping him? I'll throw out a guess and say no. So I love John Wall on this slate with the six games on. He's he's going to be an anchor. I reckon, well, I saw it the other day, I think he had 85% ownership on the money ball double up. It's going to be just as, just almost the same thing. Again, he is going to be in cash lineups all over the place. Maybe you go a different direction in tournaments, but it's going to be real hard given the guys who are available to play. Jameer Nelson's at 4,400. He's been exceeding value most games recently, averaging 28 over the last three. And given the way that Moutier is playing and being used, it's hard not to think that Nelson gets upper 20s in minutes again. So I don't think he's a terrible option at that at that low salary. As for Moutier at 5,200, in a cash game, you're, just, you're burning money. You're pissing on it, then you're setting it on fire if you're using Moutier at this point. In a tournament, yeah, look, no one's going to be on him. He's going to have really low ownership. Um, Alfred Payton had been pretty piss poor until he took on Washington, and then he became John Stockton and Magic Johnson all rolled into one. So maybe there's a chance for Moutier. That is the ultimate pivot where you'd be going, okay, this guy's owned in like 0.8% of leagues. He's at 5,200. It is expensive. I won't do it, but I can understand a rationale for, for trying it out. Jamal Murray at 3,900. Had a nice 25er today. Yeah, he's he's more of a tournament guy. Really hard to... Is he going to get 30 minutes? He's going to get 22 minutes. How is Mike Malone going to set it up? But let's wait to see if Malone has any differences in his starting lineup. Whether they run him at point more, who knows? But Murray is in play. Shooting guard, Brad Beal at 6,800. The salary is coming down. The production's also coming down, but this is a, a great matchup. We saw, saw Sean Kilpatrick and Joe Harris put up big numbers for the Nets today. Um, Against the Nuggets, it's it's generally easy for shooting guards to put up numbers. Yeah, Beal... It's a little bit highly priced. Again, he's averaging just 26 over the last three, but I think this is a good spot for him. Um, we know that Scott Brooks isn't going to be shy about playing in minutes, so this is a nice spot for Bill, but there is a, there is a slight amount of risk. As for Farton Will Barton, he's at 5,700. A little bit disappointing today, putting up just 29, but that's not horrible at 5,700. It looked like it was going to be an absolute disaster to start the day, but he did fire back. Again, I'm st- I'm... I'm okay with Barton until Gaz Harris comes back. So at 5,700, he's a lot cheaper on some of the other sites as well. He's dropped 300 bucks on FanDuel. That's making him more appealing. I think he is not not a bad guy to look at here. Marcus Thornton's a bad guy in every sense of the word. Let's No, that's not true. I'm sure he's a great person. Just an annoying basketball player. Otto Porter is at 6,000. He put up a robust 9.6 in the last game. Will that make people steer away? It will definitely make some people stay away because... Once someone owns someone, and this is true of a lot of people, and in general, there's a lot of people that play DFS that have very short tempers, I've noticed. Maybe that's just society in general, but there are a lot of people with very short tempers, and they'll look at it and go, man, I don't put him in, nine points, not never again, like he gives any sort of care at all, whether you rost him or not. At 6,000, in a nice matchup against the Rooster, um, I think you can get some value back from Porter here. He has been a, just a touchdown in his production, but I think that he's fine at 6,000. 
As for the Rooster at 6,200, really don't like him at that salary. He's a, he's a bit cheaper on some other sites and he's more appealing. Don't like him at that price. Whereas Wilson Chandler, he's at the same price as Gallinari. He's at 6,200. He had a casual 45 today, Wilson. I think you feel more comfortable about getting 30 out of Chandler than you do out of getting it out of Gallo. So Chandler's not bad to look at. Power forwards, Markeith Morris at 4,800. I'll just keep going back to Markeith. I think he's got upside to be better than this, but I think that at his worst, he'll get you 20 points. And at 4,800, that's not a big loss. And then you, know, you should feel pretty comfortable about him getting 24. He's averaging 24 over the last three. The matchup is fantastic against the Nuggets. Um, I really like Markeith at that price. I also like Nick Jokic. You know I like Nick Jokic. He's at 5,100. He is playing in the last five games, 26 minutes a night, which again is three minutes too few. He's averaging 30 points in that time. So that's value. He had 33 points in 21 minutes today. He's averaging 35 in the last three in 25 minutes. He doesn't need big minutes. If the salary was at 6,000, I'd say, you know what, that's a little bit tougher. At 5,000, I'm all, I'm all aboard. I think that Jokic can comfortably get 25. And the the starkness of difference between the the bench unit and Jokic and, and Nurkic and, and the lineups today, it couldn't have been more apparent. And surely Malone has to look at this and go, man, he just needs to play. But... Again, I don't put any stupidity past Malone, but I still like Jokic at this price because he goes out and performs in spite of any any ridiculity that comes out of a coach. Ken Fareed, I reckon you can pass on him. He's at 5,300. He's averaging a huge 11 points over the last three. Darrell Arthur, you never know. Darrell might start, and if he does, then you have a look at him at 3,700. Let's talk centers. Marching Gortat at 6,300. I, I can't I can't get behind Gortat at that price. I just feel he's he's very up and down. If Mahinmi plays, it's no chance. If Mahinmi's out, I would consider it, but he just feels really up and down with his production. So not interested. Mahinmi, of course not. And Nurkic at forty five hundred. No, he is uh he is fantasy dead to me. Let's look at the next game up, which is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Toronto Raptors. We've got the Raptors favored by seven and a half, and the total is 214.5 points. Let's go into the point guards here. Kyle Lowry is at 86. I don't like that that's jumped by $200. The matchup is, is okay without being brilliant. Yeah, 86 is fine, but oh, give me John Wall. Yeah, and this is a, a weird day for point guards. There's cheap point guards, there's expensive point guards, there's nothing happening in the middle. So you're either spending up, you're going cheap, or you're splitting it. You, you, you can't go, oh, I'm going to have two $6,000 guys. There's just no one in that range that's really worth looking at. So a Lowry and Wall combo, if you're going to spend up, yeah, could could be something to do and go cheap in other areas. But there are some cheap point guards that are around as well. You know, a guy who is a mid-priced point guard that you maybe consider is Rick Rubio. He's at 5500 He's been all right, averaging 25 over. That sounded really Aussie then. All right, he's been all right. At 5,500, averaging 25 points over the last three. I hate the Kyle Lowry matchup for him, though. He has done okay against Lowry in the past, but this is a new offense. This is a different situation, and this is a spot where he comes down and just dumps the ball to Levine and goes and stands in the corner and you know, just you know, readjusts his shorts, basically, for, for 20 seconds. So not, not keen on Rubio at 5,500. Corey Joseph, nah. And uh, Chrissy Dunn had a nice game in the last one, but it's, it's far from trustworthy although he is averaging 18.5 over the last three, which at 3,600 would be nice. I think we go in a different direction, though. Let's look at the shooting guards. DeMar DeRozan's at 8,700. 
This is a better salary for, for DeRozan. He's averaging 37 over the last three. That's not quite where it wants to be or where I, I'd like it to be, but a nice 48 performance in the last game. You should be able to get 40 out of DeRozan. And again, on a night like this where there aren't too many studs actually playing, you're getting DeRozan in and surrounding him with some cheaper guys and getting 40 out of him, even if he doesn't get to 5x value, getting 38 out of him is probably going to be the way to go. Zachy Levine at 6,000, just struggling to, to knock that 30-point mark, just a bit under it in his last three. Um, shooting guard struggle against Toronto. I'm not all that interested in Levine, but he's a he's a fine guy to, to pivot onto if necessary. Small forwards, what about Wigo? He's at 6,000. He is as up and down as they come. He is playing back in Toronto, back in Canada. Uh, he's done well against the Raptors previously. He is a guy that I think... He, is really tough to use in cash. I think you'd look at him in, in a tournament and say sure, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of Wigo here. He's definitely going through some tough times, averaging 27 across the last five, which is not horrible. But he's a little bit up and down. Oh, and and the matchup against Toronto is not particularly favourable either. Damari Carroll is at 4200. The minutes are okay. The production is not. So I'd leave him out of it. Uh, Tezza Ross. He had a nice guy in the last game, but that's one every five or so that he does that, so that means he is due for one um, at the end of December. Let's look at power forwards. Gorgie Jeng is at 5,500, a nice performance in the last game. Power forwards against Toronto doesn't go well usually, so Jeng is, is a tournament guy only, and even then I'm, I'm probably not going to be using him too often. Pat Pat. 4,400, if you're going cheap, he is a, a relatively steady guy that should get you 20 points. We know he's going to play 29 to 30 minutes. We know he's going to take some threes. And if they go in, he could comfortably get you 25, 26 points. And at 4,400, with a fair a fair um, level of confidence, you're going to get 20 out of him. I think he's all right there. Pascal Siakam, Nemanja Bielitsa, I don't think we use any of those guys. At center, Jonas Valanciunas at 5,100. He's going to have really low ownership. I can almost guarantee that there's been some weird quotes come out. Um, you would have seen, say, on Rotor World in the in the blurbs talking about him being used in matchup situations. I'm not worried about Valanciunas. The the um, again, his low minutes and his production recently looks terrible because there were four games where they literally won by 30 points each, and then he played the Cavs, which is a hor- it's almost as bad a matchup for a center as playing against the Warriors, and that limited him to 25 minutes. I think in this matchup where you've got Jing, where you've got Towns, and they can throw Cole Aldrich out there, yeah, Valanciunas is going to play. He's going to play his 28 to 29 minutes. And I don't think many people are going to be owning him. I think he's a really good um, tournament pivot guy. I, I even don't hate him for cash games at 5,100, although there are some other centers who I'd probably prefer. But at 5,100, this is a real bounce-back opportunity for JV. Cole Aldrich has had some decent games and then some stinkers. He is very tough to roster, tournaments only. Um, but he can put up numbers in limited playing time, as we've seen this season. As for Carl Towns, 9,200 on Fangio is pretty expensive. Probably takes me out of the running there on Fangio, but you'll see some of the other sites later. He's a bit cheaper and a bit more palatable. Um, against the Raptors' defense is not ideal. He could get 40, uh, but at 9,200, it's just a little bit under where I where I want him to be. Bebe, if you don't believe or if you don't agree with what I say about Valanciunas, then you look at Bebe. He's at 3,800. He is averaging 23 over the last three. We know he can go out there and get bundles of defensive stats, which can turn into pretty good DFS nights. So at 3,800, Bebe Nogueira, he might be uh, he might be someone that you might look at. Philadelphia, 
and New Orleans. We've got some injury concerns we look at need to look at here. Etwan Moore and Drew Holiday are both listed as questionable with those toe issues, and uh, Tyreek Evans is out for for the Pelicans. Joel Embiid is back, but Jelly Okafor will be out for Philadelphia. The Pelicans are favored by nine. The total is 204 points. Let's look at point guard. 7,000 for Drew Holiday. Still just a bit high on Fangio, but I, I against his former team, he has carved them up in big ways previously. He's averaging 50 points the last three times he played Philadelphia. And if you said he was averaging 33, go, oh, well, that's a little bit of a difference, but 50 is a massive, massive, massive value. But we don't know if he's playing. That's the problem. And it's not an upper body injury, so he might play, and they might play him 27 minutes. But he's very tempting, Drew Holiday. Very tempting in this matchup. And Philly doesn't defend point guards well, so there's another bonus. Spanish Chocolate at 4,900. Well, Brett Brown stuffed us up in the last game. Split the minutes between him and TJ McConnell. I think that Rodriguez goes back to 27 or 28 here at 4,900, and he becomes one of the better uh, cheap point guards out there. We just don't know that 100%, so there's a little bit of risk associated with it. As for McConnell, he had 22 in the last game, which at 3,600, is definitely returning your value, but I don't really place the faith in Brown for him to get 20-plus again. So probably a stay away. If Drew is out again, Timmy Frazier at 4,900 is a guy that you would definitely play. He had 28 in Holiday's absence, but say Moore is out, I don't think they'll start Frazier. Well, pretty, I know they won't. They'll start Bud Heald most likely, or even Langston Galloway, and that's going to limit what Frazier can do. So he's a, he's a guy to look at if Drew happens to be out. For the shooting guards, Sauce Castillo is at 3,700. He's really struggling in the starting job, but I think this is a chance for him. I think this is an opportunity against the Pelicans. He has to have a night where at least one of the shots, some of the shots go in. And at 3,700, this is my opportunity. This is He is a tournament guy. I don't imagine ownership will be high. I think he can do it. I think he can be useful. He played 38 minutes in the last game, and he actually beat value despite it not being a great night, having 20 points. At 3,700, he doesn't need to do a lot. And if he's getting 35 minutes, then it's a real chance that he does it. Dislike Gerald Henderson at the same price, I'm going Stauskas over him every day of the week. For the Pelicans, 4,100 for each one more. I won't use him, but if he is out, Langston Galloway at 39 becomes an awesome option. Bud Heald may start, but I have zero interest in using Heald. Galloway is the guy that I will pay some attention to. He had 29 in the last game. Yes, that was without Drew, but we could be without both Drew and and more, and then Galloway clearly comes into consideration there. At small forward, Solomon Hills at 3,700. He had a nice 24-pointer in the last one. It took him 47 minutes to get there, but if we're without Holiday, if we're without uh, more, then he's going to have to play some extra run, and is at 3,700. He doesn't need much to get him over the hump. Great matchup, but just it just it doesn't appeal that much. There's something to be. There's something there, though. It's not great, but there is something there. Anthony Brown played 29 minutes in the last game. And if you don't know, Anthony Brown actually plays for the Pelicans. He had 29 minutes. He had 22 points. He's at 3,600. Again, if the two backcourt guys are out, some extra run will come to Brown, but I place very little faith in him returning that favor to us. Power forwards, here's where we get some action happening. Now, Ursan Ilyasova is, has risen to... 5,300, that's $700 price rise. And fair enough, because he got 53 in the last game. He's averaging 38 in the last three. He's averaging 30 in the last five. But there's been certain circumstances that have helped this. You know, Embiid and Okafor both missing. Now, the positive here is that Okafor is out again. So, yes, Embiid is back. But Ursan should be getting 30-plus minutes. 
At 5,300, does he get to 25 points? I think he's got a really good chance to do it. So I do like Ilyasova over here. As for Sharic at 4,500, the same story. With Okafor out, he gets some extra minutes. He'll play some time at center, a couple of minutes there as well. He's averaging 30 over the last three at 4,500. I think that Sharic is fine to use as well. The problem that these two blokes are going to have is the guy that they're going to be matched up upon is Anthony Davis. Now, defensively, he's, he's going to roast them. But he does so much offensively, Davis, that he does allow some defensive laps and allows them to come through. And power forwards against the Pelicans have been able to put up some decent numbers because of the, not lack of effort, but the lack of sustained effort that Davis puts in defensively. Now, at 12,100, if you've got enough cheap guys in, you love this matchup for Davis. Especially if Drew is out, you're going to be looking at 60-plus. I would think that's that's where you're looking for Davis. And we've seen a lot this year in DFS that get your studs in and find the right cheap guys, and that's generally the best way to go a lot of the times. Rishon Holmes is also an option. Again, without Okafor, he will be the backup center. He had a nice 26 points in 34 minutes in the last game. At 3,900, you only need 20 points out of him, and, and he can do that in limited minutes, but he, he's less interesting in this matchup than what he was when both Embiid and Okafor were out. At center, it is the process. He's at 6,600. It's another $200 price rise for Embiid, and it is becoming a little bit tough to use him. He was down in the last game, still dropped 29. So that's his lowest score in his last five, which is ridiculously high. Uh, he, he's not a fade for me just yet. He might be a tournament fade, especially on the sites where his salary is low, like Moneyball. But yeah, at 6,600, I still think that you can consider using him. On the other side is Omar Ashik. So yeah. Let's move on to the next game. It's Portland, and they take on Memphis. The Grizzlies are favored by one and a half, and the total is 205 and a half points. Vinci Carter is questionable, so his return will have some impact on some of these players, like a Troy Daniels. Let's start with the point guards. Andy Harrison's at 4,200. Um, probably not. I think he's a. I don't really think he's interesting enough for me to use. And Dame Lillard's at 9,600. Had a, had a nice 45-point game today. It's a back-to-back. You know my take on Lillard. Tournament really only for for him. Wade Baldwin, Tone Douglas, they're not going to happen. Shooting guard, Tone Allen's at 4,800, so a significant price rise on FanDuel for Allen. It makes him a little bit harder to consider at that salary, but I'd be okay with it if Carter is out. If Carter plays, I'll probably end up fading Tone. CJ McCollum at 7,400. I just don't like it. I he's, he's done very well against Memphis, so I do factor that in, but I, I probably only factor it in and look at him in a GPP, and and I'm not yeah I'm not that keen. Alan Crabb, I'm, I'm the opposite of keen, and Troy Daniels at 4,700. There is no chance I'm spending 4,700 on Troy Daniels. His salary has risen by 500 bucks. He put up 13 points in the last game. You know what? He has put up some good games, but... Randolph's back. That's taking shots from the second unit. If Carter plays, it's real tough. If Carter's out, I would look at Daniels, but in a cash game, you're you're committing suicide, basically, I think, I think by playing him. The small forwards, Troy Williams should continue to start. He's at 4,200. He's just very limited upside uh, fantasy guy. Tough to use him unless he's a minimum salary player. Moe Harkless at 52. The salary just doesn't budge for him, and he just gets 25 without even trying. He's last five games, his lowest score has been 25.6. His highest score has been 29.9. So in a cash game, 5,200, I'm getting 25 out of Moharkless. I'm pretty much guaranteed of that. 
and then you can build the rest of your squad around him in that way. Evan Turner's at 46. I won't be spending 4,600 on Evan Turner. And Vincey Carter at 39. Not a chance, even if he uh, even if he plays. At the power forward spot, Zebo has risen. I always thought he was priced too highly, and then he's gone up another 400. So he's at 5,800. Yes, he had 30 in that first game back. I just... The only thing that made me say maybe is that it's it's Portland and they're on a back-to-back and they're a horrible defense, especially for power forwards. But I'm just not that interested in Zach Randolph at 5,800. Jermichael Green at 53. The Zebo return scares me a little bit. Uh, it was still fine in the last game for Green, but I'm just not 100% sure how he goes here. But at 5,300... Yeah, he is worth a look, and I would, I would prefer him over Randolph and save that 500 bucks, and uh, hopefully put it into another spot that works out. Ed Davis, a power forward, no thanks. El Farouk Aminu, we're definitely not going with him just yet. The centers is where it really happens in this matchup. 8,200 for Marcus Gasol. That's a big salary rise of 700 bucks, but he's been putting up fantastic numbers, averaging 51 over the last three. I see no reason why he doesn't approach 40 again here. Now, Mason Plumley is at 6,000. He has been playing well. He has the specter of Marc Gasol. That's the problem, that Gasol has been a real limiting factor against opposition centers for most of this season. 6,000 doesn't make me completely away from Plumley, but it's also not ideal when you can go 6,600 for the process or you can spend up on, on Gasol. Plumley on FanDuel especially, not, not an awesome option there. All right, we have got two games left. So let's get stuck into those ones. Now, the Golden State Warriors and the Utah Jazz, it's really tough to know what's going to happen in this one because we know the Jazz are without Rod Hood, they're without Favors, they're without Alec Burks, and they're without George Hill. So we're going to get a Dante Exum start, most likely, and more minutes for Shelvin Mack, more than Exum, which is what's happened every game. We're going to get, most likely, a Joe Johnson start and some extra minutes for Joey Ingles as well. And the Warriors could very well rest many of their players. You'll know more about this as the day progresses, but let's assume that all these Warriors guys are playing at this point. At point guard, Shelvin Max at 3,700. This is a cheap option that I think you go for. He's done well against the Warriors in the past, Shelvin. You know, Steph is not a defensive dynamo. He's going to play more minutes than Dante X, and that's almost guaranteed. And you should be able to get 20 out of Shelvin Mack, which is going to be fine to, again, fit in Anthony Davis, fit in Johnny Wall. That's where the benefit of having a guy like uh, like Shelvin Mack in your lineup can can help. Steph at 9,100. There's no chance I want to use really any of these Warriors guys in a matchup that could be a blowout and you're really looking to conserve their minutes and they might not even play. If Steph is out, then Sean Livingston gets a look, but I think Livingston's a, a, a risk in himself of, of resting, but he's a minimum salary player that if Curry is out, you would absolutely be looking at Sean Livingston as a player to use. Dante Exum will start, but that doesn't mean anything to me. He's averaging 10 points over the last five games in 17 minutes, so hardly a guy to look at in fantasy. Shooting guard, Clay Thompson, he's at 6,800. You know you know the story with these guys. It's just it's a risk to use any of these Warriors players. Small forward, I love Joe Johnson. He's at 3,600. He's a real chance to go for 25-plus. This is assuming he starts, and we do assume that. But even, say, Joe Ingles starts. He's at 3,500. I would love locking him in. In fact, you could even use Ingles at 3,500, even if he comes off the bench, because I believe he'll get 20-plus minutes and should be a, a guy that gets close to 20 points as well or, or gets up in that range. But Johnson's the guy that you want with Ingles coming in at a close second. And Gordy Hayward's at 8,100. Yeah, smashing teams at the moment, getting 40 almost every night, and he's going to have to carry a significant load against the Warriors, and he should be able to do that again. Kevin Durant, you see Clay Thompson, 
see Steph Curry. He's at $10,000. It's going to be real hard to spend that money on Kevin Durant in a situation like this. Power forwards, Trey Lyles, 4,000. Tournament only, really hard to trust him, and I don't trust him really one bit at all. Draymond, Durant, Curry, Clay, you know the story with Draymond. Although I think he probably is a little bit more secure than the other guys, I still don't love it. Boris Diaw had a big performance in the last game, but again, I do not trust that really at all, so I think we can leave him alone. Let's look at the centers. Rudy Gobert's at 7,300. Now, Warriors do really bother opposition centers. This might be an exception, so I don't hate it, but I hate that Gobert's risen by 400 bucks on FanDuel. He's at 7,300. That will probably preclude me from using him. The matchup, the salary rise, I, I just I can't I can't see it happening. Zaza, McGee, Withy, other centers, not really worth it. Now, when there's going to be changes during the day to this Warriors team, obviously, if you're a member of Basketball Monster, you can see how all the projections get changed. And that's one of the best ways, one of the best reasons to be a member is to see how all of the minutes and the usage and all that changes when players are ruled in and out. We have that updated within a minute, normally when the news comes out, and you'll see those changes and be able to make those changes to your lineup. So one of the perks of being a Basketball Monster member. The last game of the night is the San Antonio Spurs and the Chicago Bulls. The Spurs are favored by three, and the total is 199. This is really not an appealing fantasy matchup. We don't expect Tone Parker to play. He had that knee issue that Pop said would keep him out a while. He missed the last game. I would be stunned if Parker plays in this one. We also will likely have Dougie McDermott back. He's currently listed as questionable. So we'll see uh, if he does play, but that obviously changes the upside of a guy like Nick Miritich. At point guard, Rondo's at 6,000. Been really poor the last couple of games. I don't hate Rondo as a, as a pivot option here. I think he's definitely worth a look. Whereas Paddy Mills at 4,300. Assuming that, that Parker is out, you've got to look at Mills as, as a very good, cheap option who dropped 29 in the last game. And don't be scared if he doesn't start it. It doesn't mean anything. Nicholas Lapravatola will get the start. If Parker's out, he doesn't produce enough, even at minimum salary, so not really worth focusing there. And Jaron Grant, Isaiah Cannon, I don't think those guys are going to be all that useful. Shooting guard Dan Green at 3,500. He's doing nothing. He's been piss poor recently. We know he's got upside. We know he can go off. That's why at minimum salary, he's a decent GPP guy. I won't be rostering him, I'm pretty sure. Dwayne Wade at 7,200 has been fantastic. The Spurs defense is a little bit of a concern, and that might lead me to, to fading him, whereas Manu should be back after missing the last game. He's at $4,000. You know, I don't hate using Manu at 4000 just to squeeze in some value at other spots, but I also don't feel that confident about it. Small forwards, Kawhi's at 8,100. I think he's fine. The Bulls' defense does allow small forwards to be decent against them. He had 41 in the last game. I think he's a solid uh, player. I would rather spend the 81 on Gordy Haywood myself personally, but I can understand going to Kawhi if you've got that cash available. Jim Butler's the more expensive of these um, small forwards. He's at 8,700. The Kawhi Leonard defense, you can count him out for me. No chance. He's averages 25 in the last three against San Antonio. And if there's one thing I don't want to mess with, it's Kawhi Leonard's defense. Power forwards, Aldridge, Lamarcus, 6,400. He's been disgusting. He's been really poor. But you know what's great? When you're a big man, you take on the Bulls. So I think that Aldridge is going to be a real pivot-type guy, a low-ownership player who could be looking at 35 points in this one. So he is someone to consider for me. Miritich, no. Nah, he's been playing okay, but it, there's no upside there. Whereas Taj Gibson at 5,700. The salary's come down by 200 bucks. In another matchup, I might consider it. Against the Spurs, I'll not consider it. 
Center, Pau Gasol. Revenge game? Revenge game. 6,000 for Pau. He hasn't really gotten to that that 30-point mark in, in recent times in his last couple anyway. But it's a good matchup. It's a good spot for Pau. I think it's absolutely fine to consider him there. On the other side, his opponent, Robin Lopez at 5,200, has been a little bit under production recently. Lopez, the Spurs, despite losing Tim Duncan, are quite good at limiting opposition centers. So Lopez is is not a strong fade, but he's a guy that I probably won't have in my player pool. Dwayne Dedman at 3,600. If you want to go real cheap at center, Pop could do anything. Dedman's Deadman had 16 points in the last game and at 3,600. That's almost that's almost enough. It's not quite, but but it's not far away. So you do have to consider Deadman without being um, without being too wrapped up in him. But he is a a, a pivot tournament guy on Fanduel. And Chris Felicio, who is thankfully in the rotation against or ahead of Bobby Portis, we're not going to use him. I just wanted to say that I was thankful that he is uh, back in the rotation. All right, let's look now at the picks of the day. On Fangel, Paddy Mills, 43, Johnny Wall, 98 for the point guards. Shooting guards, Sauce Castillo at 37, Brad Beal, 68, and DeRozan at 87. Small forwards, Joey Johnson, 36, Porter, 6,000, and Gordie Haywood, 81. Power forwards, Marquis, 48, Jokic, 51, and Tony Davis, 12,100. And the centers, Deadman at 36, The Process at 6,600, and Gasol, Mark, at 8,200 on DraftKings. Return of the Mac, 4,100. Spanish Chocolate, 51. And Johnny Wall, 95. Shooting guards, Joey Johnson, 44. Beal at 67. And DeRozan at 81. Small forwards, Joey Ingles at 34. Porter at 65. And Gordo Haywood at 8,600. Power forwards, Pat Pat, 4,000. Markeith, 51. And Anthony Davis, 11,800. And at center, Jonas Valanciunas, 49. Power Gasol, 5,000 on DraftKings, which is a great price. And Carl Anthony Towns, 8,800. All the Aussies, Moneyball. Return of the Mac, 3,500. Johnny Wall, 9,000. Shooting guard, Tone Allen at 36. Brattles Beal at 6,300. And DeRozan at 8,300. Small forts, Joey Johnson, minimum salary. Love it. Gordy Haywood, 73. Love it. Kawhi at 8,000. Power forwards, Ursan Ilyasova is at 48, Aldridge is at 59, and Davis is at 11,000, and the centers, JV is at 46, the process at 55, that's a $1,500 price rise for Joel Embiid, and Carl Anthony Towns at 8,900. Over on Draft Stars, Paddy Mills, 7,950, Spanish Chocolate, 97, and Johnny Wall, 18,2. Shooting guards, Joey Ingles, 5,000, Brattles is at 12,500, and Steph at 17,000, that is a very risky play though. Joe Johnson, 7850, Mo Harkless, 8350, and Gordy Haywood, 14050. Power forwards, Rishon Holmes, 58, Ursan Ilyasova, 83, and Tony Davis, the big bucks, 23650. And the centers, Pat Pat, 7250, Mason Plumley, 9550, and his opponent, Marcus Sol, 14350. We are done today, guys. Huge podcast today. Don't know why it went so long, but. I'm just, I can't stop myself talking shit, so I apologize. Follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. And of course, Basketball Monster. We are done. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. John Wall. Napa know how. 
takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17 